Welcome to Live in the Numpai. You're here with JB and David Cunningham. All right, PC. Today we're going to talk about DTIs. DTIs, LBRs, maybe even test rates. Um, <laughs> so, what are all these acronyms for those that don't know what they are, but perhaps a description of what they are intended yeah. to do yeah. and why they're a top of a conversation today? I guess everyone knows what an LVR is because we've lived it for years, but it's a loan to value ratio, right? The Reserve Bank limits the amount that people can borrow where they've got a small deposit. So today, if you've got less than 20% deposit, uh, you're gonna run into some restrictions, right? And and the Reserve Bank has a speed limit, so they're okay with people having small deposits, but they they can kind of dial it up and dial it down, um, depending on how they feel. I think today it's 15%, isn't it? 15%, so 15% of bank lending can be for residential homeowners. Can be uh, over eighty percent LVR. Um, the rest has to be below that. So, so that's for owner occupied, and then yep. for investors, yeah, obviously, much, much tighter for investors. So, for investors, it's uh, only five percent can be over sixty-five percent LVR. Yep. So, way tighter for for property investors. So, yep. to just bringing that to life, if I'm buying a house worth a million, eighty percent of that's obviously eight hundred thousand. So, yes, you can borrow more than that if you can afford it, um, but banks can only lend a certain amount for homeowners and for investors, much, yeah. much tighter. And to clarify, Reserve Bank sets those speed limits? They do, and look, I think if you go back in time, I'm trying to think what year they came in, it was around 2015, I think. Yeah. You know, LVR restrictions were part of their macro prudential tools to sort of essentially try and slow down the housing market. So, but hold on, that's not the Reserve Bank's mandate to slow down the housing market. So. Well, it's the financial stability, right? Financial I guess stability. They, they would argue that accelerating house prices creates instability. Right. And for um, who? For banks. Well, for, for the country, uh, for the country as a whole, right? Yeah. So it did its job, right? You know, Kiwis were reasonably well insulated for the price drop that we've had. Yep, yeah. Uh, so, so I guess it's actually, I mean, financial stability is about the financial system, the banks and so on. So I suppose it's telling the banks you can't be too exposed to high LBR lending, logic being that if the housing market falls significantly, then there's adequate protection for banks before they lose money if they have to sell up the property. Of course, not a lot yep. of that happens, but you know that speed limit. Yeah, uh, and and you know, look, there's always this argument that property investors are lower risk. I actually don't agree with that. You could easily argue they're lower risk in a benign environment. The issue that you have is that you have suburbs and most locations in New Zealand that are predominantly exposed to property investors and there are no owner-occupied borrowers, right? So South Auckland case in point, well parts of South Auckland, right? And um, and so the issue is that if property investors get themselves into trouble and they need to start fire selling properties, there's going to be no buyers in those market and the price is going to fall further. Now that's actually what we saw happen last year. Well, yeah, I get that, JP. That's sort of the logic, and it has played out in some places, but hold on, property investments, the whole country, and if I look at loss rates on for investment property owners versus residential, they're almost identical, and, and tiny as well. So I get your point that in some cases... But, but that is essentially, Dave, because we didn't have a Great Depression, right? Right. Now, during the Great Depression, farmers' commercial property all got completely buried, especially commercial property. Right. Because, and you it know, took, took all the banks down. Obviously. And took all so, the banks down. You can see it sort of playing out a little mm, bit in the US mm. because the problem is there's no liquidity in a crashing market. Now, if you think back to the last two years, this wasn't 
a Great Depression. We yeah. had weak economic growth. We still yeah. were at full employment. Mm. Um, house prices fell, but not off you know, what you would consider to be sort of economic fundamentals, more to mm. do with interest rates. Yeah, so it was a 50% increase and a 20% drop, which is a net 25% increase, was, which is what incomes rose by over that period. Yeah. So I suppose you stand back and go, yeah, we didn't actually experience, despite the significant decline, that sort of depression scenario. And I guess the Reserve Bank manages to that 100-year scenario. Exactly. A so little window of two or three years where the COVID sort of thing isn't, isn't that 100-year scenario. No. So, so that's why they're conservative. Yeah, right? and look, I think um, they always wanted to do DTIs, and we'll talk about those in a minute. It's another acronym, but they're hard to implement. They're not popular. Certainly haven't been popular historically. What's that, LVRs? Or DTIs. Uh, DTIs. Okay, we'll come to that in a minute. Yeah. Can I just make a point about LVRs? And that is that the higher prices go, the more you can borrow, and that's sort of counterintuitive in a sense in terms of as house prices increase, it almost yeah. fuels itself because I can borrow more of that million dollar yeah. house I talked about before is now 1.5 million, which is literally what happened. I can now borrow 80% of yeah. 1.5 million, which is 1.2 million, so suddenly I can borrow 400,000 more. So it sort of almost feeds house price appreciation in a, in a weird way. Is that true and is that a reason why the Reserve Bank wants another I think. Well, I toolkit? think it's, it, the, the challenge with LVRs is that if you're sort of trying to recycle equity to buy next property, it gets harder and harder and harder, right? Because especially if you pull the investment property LVR restriction right down, mm. basically what the Reserve Bank's doing is limiting your ability to access equity to buy the next property. Right. So what we saw with LVR restrictions is a pretty significant reduction in the number of transactions. Yep. Now, lower interest rates meant house prices kept going up, but the actual number of transactions that were occurring were a lot less, right? Hey, so just to clarify, what if I've got a residential property I live in and an investment property and the, and the LVR caps are different? So you work out the total amount that they can borrow. So it's 80% of the owner-occupied yeah. and 65% on the investment properties. That will give you a total borrowing power. It yeah. doesn't matter. And then you basically can go out and do that. Now that's by bank, right? Yeah. So they only look at or what they've bank. got. So yeah. if I've got my loan spread around different banks, that's a way to... Or, no, no, not really, no, no, no. Is it? because the resig is higher than the investment property. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it, it, it kind of, it, it works, right? Now, I think the thing about LVRs is they're very easy to implement. Yeah. So it was a fast tool that the yeah. Reserve Bank could put in quickly without too much kind of uh, yeah. making it hard. Yeah. Now, and of course, what they've done is they've throttled up and down that speed limit, mm. depending on how they're feeling, right? So mm. at times they've got really tight mm. and then they've started to loosen it up a bit. Mm. But a very easy tool for them to manage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, they generally only give a few weeks notice that it's changing too. And you know, yeah. just know what they've, well, we've got, I mean, I guess the pipeline of loans that are approved is, means you need a bit of a, Bidding in period, but they're they're effective in to a degree. But I, I, well, look, I think in, in combination with everything else, they've worked pretty well, right? right. In the sense that um, you know we had a pretty major house price correction, yeah. and we've managed to maintain a strong level of financial stability. Mm -hmm. But wouldn't you argue though that that fifty percent price appreciation post COVID? 
wasn't held back by LBRs. Yes, they were removed, but they were put back on relatively quickly. So was I, something I, missing in the toolkit? Well, or well, I agree, and, and that was called lower interest rates, right? Yeah. Now, this is the thing. This is where DTIs come in. Okay, so, so let's get D. So what are DTIs? What so does that stand for? Debt to income ratio. So it's just another ratio, and basically yeah. you can borrow a multiple of your income. So, so, so if I earn 100000 then I can borrow, let's say, if the DTI is set at six, six. I can borrow 600000 Yep. And okay. if the DTI is seven, uh, which is what they're proposing for investors, then it would be 700000 So what if my income goes up, I can borrow more. Yep. If interest rates fall, I can't borrow more. You can't borrow more. Uh, if um, my tax rate goes down, I can't borrow more. No. No. Okay, so it's a very crude measure, but it's another thing in the toolkit, I guess, is the point. Yeah, and, and look, historically, we've all been nervous of DTIs. And I think we're always nervous of blunt instruments mm. because they don't pick up the nuance of the customer. Right. Now, we could say that about LVR restrictions. Yeah. We could say that certainly about DTIs. We could say mm. about triple CFA, you yeah. know, when um, they made all the regulatory changes yeah. there. So at the margin, it can have an impact. But overall, I guess it impacts 20% of customers, not 100% of customers, but yep. it influences the financial stability, which is the argument for why Reserve Bank needs them. And yeah, I've swung on DTIs. I used to hate them. I used right. to hate the idea that the Reserve Bank would carry that much control over the amount of lending that's occurring out there. Right. But I've kind of come around a bit. And, and the key with these DTIs is they just got to be used carefully, right? What I like about what the Reserve Bank's doing, which is what they did with LVRs, is the speed limit. So yep. it's not a hard number. They're giving yep. flexibility for banks to manage around it. Yep. But what we know is banks will be conservative. Yeah. <laughs> so if the speed limit's 20, they'll set an internal benchmark of 15 yep. to give them, because their conditions of registration as a yep. bank mean they've got to yep. abide with those speed yep. limits, eh? Yeah. Now, there's another thing that we need to talk to here, which is triple CFA right. or expenses, right? Mm -hmm. So historically when you were doing a mortgage application you could get away with putting minimum expenses in right you just sort of chuck in a couple of grand of living costs yeah. maybe a bit for the car bit yeah. for this bit for that and so you'd have lots of mortgage applications going in with you know expenses in total of three to three and a half grand mm -hmm. sometimes lower than that mm -hmm. triple cfa said that the banks actually had to look at your real expenditure so go through your bank statement or the customer goes through their yep. bank statement or assesses estimates I'm spending a thousand dollars on entertainment a month or whatever it might be and then the bank would go and verify that by looking at bank statements is that yeah, pretty much yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, pretty so much. both the customer had to do a whole lot of work and then the bank had to do a whole lot of work to verify what the customer said yeah and then you'd have this debate around what was discretionary expense and what yeah. was a hard expense right yeah, yeah. because people can adjust their expenditure yeah. you know when they're buying the house yeah so, um, so did that make a sort of a scenario where leading into getting a loan you'd pay back your expenses so, yeah. so you could show that yeah yeah, totally. The thing is that it's not a perfect science because the reality is, you know, people that are generally borrowing money are on the upward uh, trajectory for yeah. their career. Yeah. So they're going to have higher incomes every year. Yeah. You know, like I remember when I've got into my first house, I was so stretched. Yeah, me too. Right? And I, <laughs> I had no spare money. Yeah. You make it work. And yeah. then gradually over time, you know, you get a border. We, we basically got a border into the house. Yeah. And uh, so you get that extra income. Your salary gradually goes up over time, much more than inflation because you're actually advancing in your career. Mm. Mm. And you make it work, right? Now, yeah. the problem is that bank servicing calculators 
or the way banks assess people doesn't factor in future income potential. It just looks at your current income, mm. backs out your current expenses, yeah. and then they say, well, this is how much you can afford, right? Yeah, yeah. So a combination of high interest rates yeah. and now this much more conservative measure of expenses yeah has dramatically dropped homeowners' borrowing potential, right? And, and a lot more bureaucracy too, you know. And like, a lot more bureaucracy. Yeah. So what I wanted to sort of put across is that DTIs are actually outside or above where we see borrowing at the moment. And I've pulled up two examples that I think are quite good. Look, one example is a client where I was absolutely staggered. I've talked about this one before, but their house is essentially debt-free, mm-hmm. right? Debt-free house. What's the house worth? Uh, about sort of two mil, maybe mm-hmm. a bit more, mm-hmm. and it's debt-free. Mm-hmm. They have a couple of investment properties in Auckland that are at 60% LVR, mm-hmm. right? So they've got good equity in those. Mm-hmm. They've got combined incomes of about 370,000, and they wanted to buy a new house, and they wanted to know, okay, well, how much more can I borrow? Is a new house to sell their existing one? Sell their existing yeah. house, buy a new house. How much could they borrow? Maximum approval we got across the banks was 500k. 500k, that's almost their annual income. 500k, right? And why was that? The servicing calculation. Uh, so, yeah, because they had childcare costs. Right. You know, so once you added things like childcare costs, nanny, all those sort of costs into the mix, yeah. it dramatically reduces their discretionary income because interest rates are so high. Right. And the rental income on those uh, investment properties wasn't overly high. They're mm. worth a lot, don't get a lot in rent. Mm. When you work through the mechanics of all of that, it came out at about half a million. Now, let's be sort of gracious and sort of say, maybe I could have worked that up to six or 700K. My point is, you hear that scenario, and they've got a debt-free house, oh, and they also had a ton of money in the bank, or actually on the Squirrel Money platform, but they could only borrow a net sort of five to 600K, and it just sounds wrong, right? So, so on a DTI basis, what would that look like? 2.5 million. Now, okay, given, that they've got, given that they've got current debt of you know, sort of 1.3-ish, that's an extra 1.2 million versus what the bank servicing calculator is showing, which is you know 600k. Right. So you can sort of see that these guys are well within the DTI framework. Yeah. In fact, the DTI framework would allow them to borrow a lot more money yeah. than current bank servicing calculators. Yeah, yeah. Hey, so on that servicing calculator, had things got a lot tighter since those were introduced? Was it three years ago now? Mostly because of interest rates, right? Right. So we're testing. So when we do a loan, we're testing on a principal and interest repayment basis Mm. at a rate of eight and a half to nine percent. Now that's that's incredibly hard Mm. to pass. Now here's the thing: for a property investor, you're also testing it on a PNI basis, even though it might be interest only. Right. Right. That's that's one of the things that slammed the investment property investor along with tax and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so look, the rea- the simple reality is they can't borrow money anyway. I'm mm. I'm dealing with investors all the time that are like, oh, can I buy another property? I'm like, whoa, no, you don't even remotely pass servicing. Yeah. Because we're testing at nine percent on a PNI basis in properties that typically have quite low rent yields. Mm. Just doesn't work. Hey, right? so I've heard that the well, the government has said they're reviewing the triple CFA. I've heard that they're 
formally getting into that process. Do you think they'll go back to pretty much how things were, where it was more, you know, allow 2,000 for expenses rather than look at every single item? I've sort of heard that's where they're likely to go. I think they'll come back a bit. Yeah. I think it'll be sort of a happy medium somewhere in between, yeah. but I think what they will do is sort of not force the banks down this sort of process of having to go through and justify every expense. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd hate to think it goes back to essentially, you know, liar's dock, which is just basically <laughs> put any number you want in, make yeah. sure it's the bank minimum, yeah. Yeah. get the maximum approval and good yeah. luck. Yeah. I think I think there's a level of responsibility that needs to sit above that. Yeah. So what you're saying is we're likely to go to, you know, the customer says I spend this much and the bank verifies broadly that that's it's reasonable. And, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So back to DTIs then, so what you're sort of saying is the DTI framework would let customers borrow more than they would under bank test servicing rules. Oh, totally. Like this is the thing, and, th and this is the thing I, why, certainly for owner-occupied lending, right, or small investors that mm. maybe have one or two properties, I wouldn't be concerned about it. Mm. Because bear in mind, these DTIs are giving higher amounts of borrowing than we can currently get through the banks, right? Right. right. So that's kind of... Cool, right? I mean, what will happen though is as interest rates drop, you know, bank servicing calculators would probably allow borrowers to borrow more than those DTIs, which is the point right. that I think you were making earlier, Dave, yeah, yeah. is that what DTIs do is they provide a consistent sort of framework for borrowing uh, through an interest rate cycle. And it, it sort of detaches the amount people can borrow yeah. from current interest rates. Yeah. At the top of the cycle, like we're at now, yeah. DTIs are actually going to be more favourable, yeah. right? At the bottom of an interest rate cycle, they're going to hold things tighter yeah. than would otherwise happen if left to yeah. the banks. So I guess what you're saying is the conservatism banks supply in setting the test interest rate, in other words, what is the rate we're going to assume could be, like 9% at the moment, yeah. it was about as low as 6% even when interest rates were 2%, you know, but over 2%. So banks sort of manage that because that's affordability in terms of the customer's ability to keep paying the loan under a rising interest rate scenario. LVRs set a sort of a limit in terms of the amount of lending you know, that's getting highly geared and then DTIs sort of a almost something in the middle that mean when interest rates get really low and bank test servicing rates get low, the Reserve Bank could set a limit of the amount of lending at higher DTIs. Now, now if we go back to post-COVID when interest rates and property prices increased 50%, I think we had as high as sort of 30 plus percent of lending was over a DTI of uh, six for personal and seven for investment. So I guess it would have taken that peak out of yeah. the market. So in other words, property prices would not have increased 50% under that scenario. They, they won't. And, and look, from my perspective, there's an incredibly strong correlation between interest rates mm. and the amount that you can borrow mm. and house prices. Mm. If people can't borrow as much, mm. they can't bid prices up, yeah. prices fall. Yeah. So in tight don't rise in that rise yeah. much, yeah. Yeah, because like I mean I can tell you, when people go to an auction, mm. the price they bid to is the maximum that they can afford to pay. Yeah. And especially in a in a market where there's a lack of supply, right? Mm. And so what drives the amount that they can borrow? Well, historically, it was interest rates. Those mm. interest rates were low. They could borrow a lot more. They stretched mm. themselves that much further, right? Mm. So this DTI framework pulls everyone back consistently. Mm. So that's good for financial stability, which yep. is really, I mean, the Reserve Bank has a mandate both on inflation, 
targeting one to three percent with a midpoint of two and targeting financial stability you know in other words the financial system no banks are going broke um, I mean look if you take a short-term view of it is it good for me as a borrower I can't borrow as much maybe when interest rates are low that kind of sucks but if if it's working that way across the entire market, mm. it's actually holding back house price appreciation. Mm. But, but isn't the root, good. root cause of the issue that we aren't building, that we haven't got enough houses, that construction costs are high, that oh, the totally. consents are hard to get, that there's not enough land? So, you know, is it playing with the outcome rather than the symptom? Oh, I, I, look, I, I mean, I think both, right? I think at the end of the day, you know, people happily borrow up to their max to get into the property. You know, mm. it's an emotional purchase, it's not rational. Yeah, it's that, um, and when that fear of missing out, I've bid five times and missed out, so this time I'm gonna to go to the yeah. max I can afford, you know, it becomes that self-perpetuating outcome, doesn't it? Yeah. And I guess the opposite with prices of falling, you know, fear yeah. of overpaying. So yeah. I think it's actually a good tool. I like the fact they've got a speed limit, but what, you know, guess what I was saying is, you know, at high interest rates like we've got at the moment, and with a speed limit, these DTI tools are way more favorable than what we're dealing with right now. Mm. It's only gonna be in a low interest rate environment where these DTIs will hold the market So back. does this mean banks should currently lower their test rate? Like we said, 9% well, totally. when interest rates are seven and at the top of the cycle. So maybe it should be a pretty small margin above the current, you know, maybe 8%. But at the bottom of the cycle, you know, it got, got as low as about six. So, you know, moving in a narrower band with DTIs sort of being the control mechanism to make sure things don't get out of control. Yeah, yeah well, no, 100%. Do you think banks will do that, though? <laughs> oh, look, I, I'd like to think that they would. I think, in a way, in the absence of a DTI framework, the Reserve Bank has actively encouraged banks to increase their servicing rates. Mm. Right. Okay. So, yeah. I, I, look, I think, you know, substituting in a DTI framework, I'd like to think that the banks can apply more flexibility to their servicing rates. Mm. Mm. Look, servicing rates are too high. Mm relative to where I think we're in the cycle and banks are too conservative and guess what the DTI framework tells us that. Hey so how does the frameworks we have compare to other markets like say Australia or the UK so does Australia have DTIs? Oh good question I, I haven't actually looked too much look I know the UK does they have it on owner occupied property but not on investment property. Right. Investment property is a hard one right because if you think about it you know, maybe you've got a rental yield of 5% or, if you're lucky, on an investment property. Mm. So what you can sort of see is with a DTI framework, you're going to run out of borrowing capacity pretty damn fast. Mm. Um, at high interest rates, it has no impact. But as interest rates come back a bit, that DTI is going to limit property investors quite significantly. Mm. And I think that's one of the things that the Reserve Bank's going to have to think about. Because, you know, a bit like the new build thing, is you know we need more housing stock, we need mm. to be building more property, we need property investors to be funding that sort of stuff. Mm. So you don't really want to be killing property investors. You certainly don't want to be killing the larger property investors mm. because you know those those are the people who are really addressing the market need. When you say large, you mean multiple, like five plus properties or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean you've got you've got people yeah. out there that are basically professional yeah. property. I mean investors. they really belong in commercial rather than being covered by this framework anyway, don't they? But I don't know if banks I, treat them that way. But I, I sure. would think so. So so I think, you know, the DTIs were going through a consultation period at the moment, like we did with the LVR restrictions when they were first uh, recommended. And then we saw some exclusions put in mm -hmm. around new builds. 
uh, there were a few other exclusions in there as well. I, I expect to see the same sort of thing this time around. Same when they removed tax deductibility, suddenly they realised that they were creating a problem in the large scale mm. rental market and mm. so they backtracked on that as well. Mm. That was the government, not the Reserve Bank. But mm. I think there's some nuance that's got to come through in this and I think the area that it needs to come through, there's two places I think concern me. The first is business owners because it's not reported properly, but business owners leverage a lot off mm. their owner-occupied house. Yeah. Now, if you're in a business and your income's down because, I don't know, let's say COVID or anything really, mm. and you need to get more working capital yeah. to take your business through, how's that going to work in the DTI framework? Yeah, yeah, it's going to be you know less income equals less borrowing. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a real yeah. risk around small business owners that they can't right. access the equity in their property. Yeah, and then they're going to say, and this is for business purposes, but then you're sort of starting to get into this really murky bank space. I mean, yeah. so many small businesses put money on the house, call it landscaping or a kitchen <laughs> renovation that's going into the business, right? Mm. So that's one area of concern. The other area of concern is these large-scale investors mm. where I think you know, there's a risk that the, the DTI framework suddenly throws these completely out. Mm. Mm. So there will be things we'll be talking about to the Reserve Bank um, as part of the consultation. As part process. of yeah, so our I, submission, yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll talk to that stuff. And look, I think the big thing, right, is... Um, for existing investors, where they may run into it, because um, I don't think it's going to impact owner-occupied lending, but with investors, I think where they're going to run into it is maybe when they go to buy that next property and the answer will be, hey, you can't. Yeah. Yeah. But the big risk and the thing that investors need to think about is when they sell a property. Yeah, because the remaining borrowing will be assessed on the new framework. Yes. And so they won't be allowed to almost like catch 22. They can't sell. Well, <laughs> is that what could happen? Well, yeah, well, what, what they may find is that the bank takes full proceeds to get them back within a DTI framework. So I've seen this. This happened to some of my clients around the GFC yeah. where they were selling property to do stuff. Yeah. Right. I had one client whose wife got pregnant, so she stopped working. He sold a rental property to just generate some cash to cover them and while the she wasn't working. And the bank took the whole proceeds. And it's like, what? And then, they were, and then the bank's like, oh, look, we'll give you 10 grand. It's like, what the hell? You know, and um, so I sold another property. Bank took all the proceeds. Yeah. Yeah. He ended up having to sell down about three properties, bank each time, take yeah. full proceeds. In a soft market, he lost a ton of capital, right? Now, I, he was a new client, I was trying to help him out of it. But look, I think that's the problem for these large-scale investors is when they're trying to sell property, when they're trying to move capital around or change things. Now, that could be a large investor, or it could be a business owner. Yeah. The risk for them is that the bank's going to be sitting there yeah. going, oh. Yeah. Well, that's a good insight, eh? and it's to get advice about what might happen before you enter into a transaction or even contemplate entering into a transaction. That's yeah. a sale. <laughs> and look, the, yeah. the simple rule which you know all brokers or mortgage advisors say is, is split your lending across multiple banks. Now, in the old days, everyone just did everything with one bank mm. because they got a better deal, they got a bigger cash back. Mm. And the banks typically, if you're dealing with a, a business manager or a mobile or something, they want to do everything. So mm. they'll price it to win all the business. And mm. in the old days, these investors would just take the cash and the low interest rate mm. and go, oh, cool, right? And so you often see these investors where their entire portfolio is with one bank and you're like, what's going on? And 
the reality is that they were pursuing the wrong thing. They were mm. pursuing a cash back mm. and an interest rate discount. And I'm like, holy shit, you're taking so much risk here. Mm. You should be splitting it across different lenders, which is where mortgage advisors are so valuable, right? Because you don't have to go and deal with different banks and then try and juggle it. You go see a mortgage advisor, they can manage your portfolio risk across a number yeah. of lenders. So does the DTI framework impact that? Like DTIs are what, are they measured across the whole portfolio? The whole portfolio. Whereas LVRs are yeah. for the single yeah. transaction sort of thing, yeah. but at a bank basis. Yeah, okay, yeah. so that what, what does that do then? Does that make it harder? It does. So with LVRs, we could manage that bank to bank with mm. DTIs because they're looking at overall income, overall debt levels mm. across banks. It's going to be harder, right? Yeah. So what, what you want to do is, in a perfect world, sort of potentially have a debt-free property. So mm. one of the things that I do with some of my investors is I sort of say, okay, across this portfolio, what is the property that you're most likely to sell if mm. I gave you the squeeze? Yeah. And they'll go, oh, this one, because I don't really like it. And I go, okay, well, we're going to make that one debt-free. Right. We're going to discharge the mortgage, or we'll put a small mortgage on it, but we're going to go put that yeah. on its own with a bank, so that if you ever sell it, you get to keep the net proceeds. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Because you go to sell it, the bank can't ask you to pay back debt that it doesn't have. Yeah, got right? It. So I think you're going to see more single lender properties than you would have seen under LVR restrictions. Under LVR restrictions, you could still juggle it a bit, but I think we're probably gonna split more. Yeah. Okay. So we'll probably end up with more lenders in the yeah. mix than we would have historically. Yeah. Okay, I think you're demonstrating the value of a mortgage uh, advisor, especially yeah. uh, you. Hey, so to set a pot all together, another tool in the toolkit for the Reserve Bank to manage to financial stability. Taking a 100-year perspective, it is about financial stability. You could be cynical and say, well, short term, what's it got to do with yeah. you know, managing house prices? But actually, yeah. it's the long-term financial stability and the Reserve Bank you know, does think about the 100-year sort of perspective. Uh, that's why they've raised the capital levels for banks too for the 100-year crisis scenario. I guess it's another sort of complex tool, but no immediate impact because those DTI ratios, we're way below the speed limit at the moment. Yeah. So when are they going to be introduced? Mid-year, is it? I think we're talking about mid-year. Mid-year, and the LVRs, you know, loosen slightly for investment property. So really no immediate impact on the market? Like any impact on house prices likely because of these changes? No, I no. don't think so. Yeah. And look, you know, maybe, and here's just a maybe, but maybe a DTI framework will help the Reserve Bank lower interest rates sooner. Yeah, because I mean, I guess you've got that wealth effect of rapidly rising house prices sees people spend more, be more optimistic and so on. So it sort of has got a loose relationship to inflation. In fact, a proven relation to inflation, but you know, mm. that's not the scenario at the moment because house prices are affordable. <laughs> okay, well let's wrap it up there. A fascinating conversation, a lot of change and a lot of different moving parts when you think about the LVR restrictions, the new DTI restrictions, the test rate bank supply and the servicing calculations the banks use, which are also changing fairly soon as well. Mm. So it's all happening. That's us for another week. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you have any questions or things you'd like us to talk about in the future, get in touch with us at david at squirrel.co.nz or john at squirrel.co.nz. And please do share this uh, and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. 
The opinions expressed in this podcast are not financial advice or a recommendation of any financial product. Any commentary provided are personal views and are not necessarily representative of the opinions of Squirrel. As always, we recommend seeking professional investment or mortgage advice before taking any action.